0: Farmer-owned, Vermont grown.
1: What's up, O'Teal? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks to Garcia. Handpicked our sponsor. Um we are honored to have them as a sponsor. Their incredible line of cannabis and decorative containers and gummies and Pre rolls, uh, all with the name of the great Mr. Jerry Garcia on it. It's the best.
2: Yeah, I still uh, kind of can't believe that they've given us that vote of confidence, but I'm glad. And uh, we hope to re- represent the Garcia name uprightly, or I should say forthrightly. Yes. And uh,
1: whilst enjoying their products. So check out garciahandpick.com, everyone, and see if it's available in your area. And if it's not, go to the areas that it is. Thanks, Garcia. Hey,
2: this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's Oteal. And that's Mike. Uh, this episode was kind of heavy. We had uh, Fred Guttenberg on, whose daughter Jamie was killed in the uh, mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and he has gone on to be a gun reform advocate, a passionate and extremely convicted gun reform advocate. And uh, as hard as it is to, you know, obviously talk about the, the dark parts. It's, it's an inspiring, uh, he's an inspiring person. It, uh, what, what a crazy, uh, thing to have happen to you to bring it all forward, but it was a really good conversation.
1: Yeah. And he's extremely, uh, you know, uh, what I admired about him was how hopeful and how, uh, you know, positive he is and how he's, you know, there, there is a a lot of people that own guns that also believe that gun safety is a huge, uh, important matter. So, uh, he's looking at it from, you know, the most optimistic perspective you can have. And unfortunately I'm, uh, a a storm must've blown. I, I got kicked off my internet, uh, So I drop off at the end of the episode. I didn't get a chance to thank him. So thank you, um, Fred, for, for joining us and thank you guys for listening. And, uh, it's not always a good, it's it's not always a fun listen when we're talking about, you know, common sense and reality. So, um, Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we're here on the Osiris Network, home to so many great podcasts. You can check them out at OsirisPod.com. And you can find us on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod, where we have an extra episode each week and a whole bunch of great extra content for you. So uh, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>
2: Well, Fred, thank you for being with us today, man. We, uh, in some ways, I don't want to say I avoided the topic, but, um, for the podcast in general, but you know, through the pandemic and all the George Floyd stuff and everything, it just, it was so much going to go through, you know, but I'm really glad to have you on because I think it's always a good time to talk about it and until it's fixed, you know, and, uh, So I really appreciate you doing that. We were talking just before uh, about how we're dealing with the uh, COVID spikes. And uh, you were saying you're out in the country in an undisclosed location. So you could be outside, but not around people. I'm still in Florida. So I'm kind of like withdrawing back in in Boca Raton.
3: Oh, around the corner from where I live down there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's... uh, I like being outside and stuff, and I need that to keep my sanity. Yeah. But yeah, the grocery store and all that stuff is off. So you're enjoying your time in the country right now?
3: You know what? I am. Um, this is where I come from what I call peace, you know? And, and you know my story uh, for my wife and I and my son getting away and just kind of in the mountain air is where we go for peace. It's just um where we don't know people, where people don't wonder when they see you, how are they doing? You know, are you doing okay? And and I I I appreciate that people are always concerned, but for us it's also good to get away from that. And in this time of COVID, it's we can for the most part, live our lives, you know, being outdoors and just out in the fresh air without being surrounded by fear of the virus. Yeah. Um, and so it's good for us.
1: And for those who don't know, you know, your story, um, would you be able to, uh, kind of, you know, run yeah. us through.
3: Yeah. So, you know, most people who do know my story know when it began um, publicly, which was February 14th, 2018. But I'm going to start a little before that. Um, in October of 2017, my brother, one year younger than me, died of cancer related to his service in 9-11. My brother ran the triage for the World Trade Center. He was a physician and at the time, the deputy medical director of the New York Fire Department. And I I take that step back to let you all know, I'm one of five kids. All my siblings are still alive. My parents are still alive. We as a family just had not dealt with grief until my brother was sick and eventually died. And so after he passed, I was going through a tough time. Um, A year before he passed, I had sold my business. and. The year of 2017, I spent mostly going back and forth to New York almost every week to help take care of him. He was single. He didn't have kids. After he passed, I didn't know what I was going to do. And my wife encouraged me to take the rest of the year off, November and December, just for the first time in my adult life, try to chill. I'm not very good at just chilling, but she wanted me to do that. By January of 2018, I was going a little nuts. I needed to be active again and busy. I needed to have a plan. I needed to have a purpose to wake up for in the morning. So I started actively looking. Maybe another company, maybe a job. And then February 14th, 2018 rolled around. And um, it was Valentine's Day. It was actually the Valentine's Day you know, coming off of what happened to my brother that I really wanted to use for healing my family, um, really to introduce romance into Valentine's day for my kids. So I had this crazy idea and I took my wedding video, which my kids had never seen because it was on a VHS VHS tape and we just didn't have a recorder in my house to play it. And I digitized it and that Valentine's Day, we were going to, as a family, watch my wedding video. Um, I sent my children to school the morning of February 14th. They were running late, as they typically did, and blaming each other, as they typically did. They were siblings. And I was rushing them out the door, telling them, you got to go. You got to go. You're going to be late for school. And those are my last words to my kids that morning. Not, I love you. And for my daughter, it's the last thing she ever heard me say. And that's because on that day, a shooter showed up at their school uh, in Parkland. Uh, just after 2 p.m., my son calls me, and he says, Dad. And I said, What? There's a shooter at my school. I didn't take him seriously at first. My son has an um, ability to mess around with me a little bit. And then he said it again, and he said, And I can't find Jamie." He did not ever, ever, ever mess with her well-being. He watched after her like a hawk. And the second he said that, I knew it was true. Mm. I just said, where are you? And he said, I'm running. They're telling us to run, but I can't find Jamie. I said, you got to keep running. He goes, no, I got to find Jamie. I said, you keep running. I'll worry about Jamie. I have him on the phone. He loved his sister so much, I'm trying to convince him to keep running, and he just wanted to turn around and run back to where the shooter was to find his sister. And as he's talking to me, he's telling me he's hearing more bullets. That was when the shooter was now on the third floor and shooting his sister. Um, And so I had to convince him to keep running. He did. Eventually, I got him. My daughter was murdered that day in that school um the next day there was a vigil in parkland i went to the vigil i just felt this need to be with people and when i got there the mayor asked me if i wanted to take her speaking slot and speak Um, i didn't go there prepared with anything which is probably a good thing i just let it rip and i told people how i was feeling and for the first time in 24 hours, looking at it on this crowd of people, and listen, you understand what it's like to look out in a crowd of people. I've never really done that before. And all I see is people holding all these candles and crying. And for the first time, my world slowed down, and it hit me. Gun violence. Um, and I just, like I said, I let it rip. I told people how I was feeling. And I went home after that vigil, I walked in my door, and I just said to my family, "I'm going to break that effing gun lobby." Um, and it's been my mission ever since. It's a good mission, man.
1: I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm thank you. I, no kid should have to go through that, and no parent should have to go through that. and I'm sorry for your son to have to make that call to his dad. He
3: lives with it every day. Um, You know, and we always think in in gun violence about those that we bury, that didn't make it. But we often don't think as much about those who did. Those who have to live with the consequences of it, like my son. And, you know, we we need to always remember them as well, because while 40,000 people just the over now die of gun violence every year. The number of people affected by it every year is millions. And, and you know, listen, my son lives in what they call survivor's guilt. So, uh, you know, we as a family, we're taking care of each other, but that's reality.
2: Can you unpack some of that survivor's guilt for people? Uh, yeah, I, I know was, from
1: yeah, I was living here...
2: And, you know, I'm friends with Jeff Kasky and I've heard yeah. stories about individual students. And I don't think a lot of a lot of people understand the different forms that Survivors guilt can take. Or for it some is-
1: survivors that are listening that can, you know. Yeah.
3: No, it, listen, it's a great question. and And I'll tell you something. I didn't even know he was struggling with it until maybe almost a year later. I had planned an event in Parkland, Florida, um, with a bunch of victims of gun violence, but also survivors from 9-11. And I brought together different groups and mental health experts as well. And the intention was to have these victims of gun violence who were able to speak about what they went through because they didn't get killed that day, and the victims of 9-11 talk about what it was like going forward what ended up happening that night is they they ended up the stories ended up being much deeper than i expected in a very emotional gripping way where people were describing the emotional trauma they deal with every day because they survived how hard it is to wake up every day because they survived wondering why they survived And someone else didn't. And how they're in therapy because of that. And I tell you this because my wife and my son are not like me. They're very private. I'm very public. They don't go to a lot of these events that I do or travel across the country. But because that one was in Parkland, they decided, you know what, we'll go. And this seems like maybe would be good for us because everyone thought it was going to be kind of a... More of a healing effect. And when it was over, I apologized to my wife and son. I thought it really was going to be emotionally devastating to listen to all those stories. And my son just looked at me and goes, Dad, that's how I feel every day. And I just said, I'm sorry. I I wasn't even thinking about that possibility. And um, But it is how he was feeling every day. And to this day, still is angry at himself that he listened to me and didn't turn around. Okay. Does not yeah. understand that, had he turned around, he likely becomes another victim. Yeah. You know? And, but, but that's the way he thinks. He's, he is angry that he didn't try. He, he is angry that, cause, he was her older brother he always while they were typical siblings bickering he protected her like a hawk and he took that seriously and to this day he's a, he's he's upset that it was her and not him he thinks if it were him he would have had more of a chance to maybe do something yeah. and that's survivor's guilt it's it's it is this Unknown quantity, you know, where you wonder, well, if I had done something different, could I have saved them? Or why was it them and not me? And it can overwhelm you. Sure. Um, and so, you know, listen, I, I encourage anyone and everyone, you know, you make sure you get the help you need when you're having these these issues. Because I, I, I can tell my son until I'm blue in the face. Thank God it wasn't you, you know, thank God you didn't turn around. Um, yeah. But yeah. you could have lost both
2: of them, you know, and that's, you know, but I've heard of survivors, uh, not necessarily at Parkland, but in just in the country actually uh, attempting to take their own lives, attempting suicide. It is so true. They became so unmanageable for them, you know? Yeah, Yeah. that's that's really heavy, you know,
1: you know, being a being a sibling is a is a special thing And, and having that protective gene where you want to protect your siblings and you want to protect your family. And I don't know, it's a it's a are they so offering it, a lot of like uh you know in the in your area like are, do you feel like they're getting the assistance that they need do you think your son and other survivors are getting the help that that they need or is it kind of left to you to to find them a therapist or find them a you know
3: in, in the aftermath of February 14th there was an abundance of available mental health services you know and there was some of that that was coordinated and brought in just to make sure the kids at the school or the faculty at the school or the families were able to get the help that they needed. And, and what also is happening is in the surrounding communities, those who provide mental health services, if you would have called them and told them your story, they were just going to tell you, just comment. Like there's no charge. Um, the, the community stepped up. In yeah. the case of, of my family, you know, listen, we, whatever my son needs or now or needed before my wife and I, we make sure he's taken care of, yeah. you know, I, I, I listen, I, I, I'm a dad who up until February 14th, 2018, I always had my foot on my kid's ass, you know, was like pushing them and you got to do this and you got to be independent. You got to push harder. You got to try them harder. You got to do more. It's like, now, just be okay. Be okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's like, that's all I need from you. Just be okay.
1: And that's a great yeah. thing for a dad to say to a kid.
3: So, you it know? really
2: is, man. We, uh, we put so much of our expectations on them, you know, and we forget, hey, man, it's okay to just be okay today. Just being okay today is the biggest blessing you could possibly have, you know. So, I heard that Biden was doing something. And this was weeks ago, but I remember some stories that he, there was something coming up about gun reform that he was gonna try to do. They were saying he was kind of putting his foot down, yeah, and I've you know stayed out of the news for various reasons recently here. but what can you talk about what that was i I didn't follow up on it yeah,
3: so he he's doing as, as much as he can within the confines of the office, and the reality of a divided Senate. And so he's using executive actions to do a few okay. things. Um, a, um, putting a lot of money into the issue of gun violence. Um, in fact, $5 bil- billion um, is going to be allocated into community intervention programs. To okay. really get at some of the root causes of okay. violence and, and interceding before we end up in a violent event. But B, um, really working hard through the Department of Justice and Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms to deal with this issue of illegal trafficking of firearms. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that matters, nine out of 10 weapons that are used in a crime are not owned by the person using the weapon. In fact, often, because they're criminals using weapons in a crime. They're already prohibited purchasers. They can't walk into the store and buy the weapon. But they have plenty of access to weapons because of um, unsavory dealers out there that don't follow the rules or private transfers or people who leave weapons unlocked and then they get stolen. Um, Mm. So he's really trying to deal with the, the reality of how this group of people are prohibited purchasers using weapons and crimes are getting their weapons and trying to tackle that and and so that's you know illegal trafficking of weapons and he's directing the Department of Justice and the ATF to do it um, he has appointed uh, um, someone uh, by the name of David Chipman to lead the ATF David would be the first Permanent director of the ATF since 2015. We, as a country, while gun violence has spiked, we've not had a permanent director of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. You know, Damn. nobody watching the shop, nobody ensuring that somebody was doing something about illegal trafficking, because that's the ATF's job. Um, so, I will tell you, I am concerned that that nomination is not. Going to happen because you have a lot of these groups putting a lot of money um, into uh, members of the Senate to have them vote no because they do not want a permanent director. Um, but we have to keep fighting. You know, we have a 50 50 Senate right now. You lose one Democrat, you don't get it done. Um, yeah. So we have to keep fighting, and we are. But, but Joe Biden is trying to do everything he can um, to ensure that that we can bring some kind of sanity to this conversation. Listen, I don't hate gun owners, I hate gun violence. And the majority of gun owners agree we can do more to reduce gun violence. Yeah. Um, I, I'm someone who believes you can be a gun owner and for gun safety. You know, so we have to break through these walls that existed for too many years that said, hey, if you believe in gun safety, you're anti-gun. No, not true. You know, or you hate the Second Amendment. No, not true. Or you hate gun owners. Not true. Um, so, So we have to break through these walls. Our lives depend on it.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable
4: because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they
1: knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool, go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your
2: door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp
1: for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD-crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains.
2: Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door.
1: Want to know what I've been using a lot of, Oteal? This salve with the Arnica uh, yeah. on my on my old bones. You get back from a show and you got tore ankle, rub a little bit of this on there. You're ready to dance the next day. And you know, S- Sunset Lake uh Comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code TIME, and tell them we sent you. Thanks
2: for listening. I, I struggled a lot with buying a gun recently just through the pandemic. And, you know, I've been talking about January 6th happening for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and so. As that happened, <laughs> you know, I really was having a serious conversation, and most of my friends here own guns. I mean, they're you know working guy attorneys and whatever, and they've they're regular guys that are like you say they're they're responsible gun owners, they're good people, and they're against gun violence and I mean, I was this close man, and I decided against it, which I'm glad. Now, in retrospect, and light, some things that have just happened.
3: But here's why what you just said is so important. Through the pandemic, remember when the economy was basically shut down? Yeah. And you had essential businesses, and the majority were deemed non-essential. And most of the essential ones were based around food or health care. The Trump administration forced um, states to count gun stores as essential. And so, literally, the only yeah. retail environment that you could step into during the pandemic that wasn't food related or healthcare related was a gun shop. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there were
2: lines around, around these the, buildings all the time, dude. And so, you guys would drive like by here. and be like, what's that? And it's like, oh, it's a gun shop. To the line so, down the street.
3: Guys like you who felt anxiety over the pandemic, or, you know, because you knew economic anxiety that people were feeling could lead to violence, were running out and buying guns. It was the stupidest, most moronic thing that could happen. But we added tens of millions of new gun yeah. owners during the pandemic. What's the consequence of that? Well, look at the spike in gun violence right now.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, you you had said, um, you know, you, you don't hate gun owners, you hate gun violence, and there are a lot of gun owners that are anti-gun violence. I wanted to ask you about that when after, you know, when you began to kind of go public and, and you know, share this mission, did you have a lot of gun owners and, um, you know, folks that were your ally in a way, like coming from that side saying, hey – I own a gun and I'm 100% with you on this or?
3: Oh, listen, across the country, loads of gun owners. Listen, I have a very substantial Twitter platform and it includes plenty of people who don't own guns, but plenty of people who do. And plenty of gun owners who completely understand you can own a gun and want to reduce gun violence. You can own a gun and want to reduce the instances of gun violence and death associated with it. And I had plenty of those supporters. The negative reactions, the negative commentary tended to be driven more by these organized groups like the NRA and their leadership. Um, but, But the vast majority of their membership says, Uh, It's not a bad idea, you know? So, I mean, we live in a country where uh, I think the last statistic I saw was 91% of people support background checks. It's not rocket science. Yeah.
2: So you're saying even a large percentage of NRA members believe it's a a good idea? 100%.
3: Wow. There is So listen, there's the leadership of the NRA and what they tell you their membership Believes or what they spend their money to drive messaging on. But then there's the actual membership. Um, Many of whom pay no attention to what the NRA actually says. But, you know, when they bought their gun, they signed up. Um, So the majority of gun owners support measures like enhanced background checks, like red flag laws, Um, you know, because they recognize it can save lives. They recognize even if you own your gun, if you're walking down the street and the guy the gun is walking behind you and you don't know, he's still going to be able to shoot you. Or if you're sitting in a movie theater or you're walking through, listen, there was the Walmart shooting in Texas uh, two years ago. And there were gun owners in that store at the time where the shooter was in the store with his assault weapons. And you want to know what the gun owners were doing? They were down on the ground helping people who were shot okay wow. so so you know having your gun doesn't stop gun violence and and so we need to work together on that.
2: I wondered you know I always get into this conversation about how much of this is baked into the cake of our society is it in our societal DNA just this wild west. Uh, like, I I wonder, like I grew up, my dad was in the Marines and he had a shotgun in the house. We never knew where the ammo was. It was just leaning up in a corner in the back somewhere. So like, I I, I never knew how to fire a gun as a Mm -hmm. kid. He never taught me to shoot. But I remember growing up with a gun in the house, but it was just like, it was almost like a museum object object like if something happened he knew where the bullets were and blah blah blah, and that maybe it would be used so i think that's kind of an argument against that it's in our dna because i grew up with a gun and i'm not like that but that doesn't account for everybody else you know there's a lot of hunters that you know i just wonder why is it because it seems like we're literally insane so
3: it's not in our dna um in fact, I was just in a, in a wonderful documentary called The Price of Freedom, which looks at the history of the NRA and the history of gun laws in this country. The vast majority of this country's history, basically all the way up into the 70s, was one where we actually had gun safety, you know, where we actually passed laws, and um, And, in fact, if you go into the 60s and the 70s, uh, you could, there there were those who uh, were trying to use the issue of guns to take away guns from certain groups of people based upon race and other issues. I mean, mean, you know where I'm going with this, but the vast majority of this country, and by the way, those were the same people who now want to obliterate all those laws. Um, was a, was a country of gun safety. It, what changed was in 1977, not that long ago in this country's yeah. history. Um, at an NRA national convention, a the the there was a, a a mutiny at the NRA convention that ended up leading to the NRA leadership being tossed and this new guy coming in and taking over the NRA. And what's really um, interesting about the person who came in and took over the NRA and nobody knew it until the documentary came out. He was actually a convicted murderer um, and had gotten off later on on a technicality, changed his name. His name is Harlan Carter. Changed a vowel in his name so nobody would ever actually know of his conviction and this is the guy who took over the NRA and turned them into the organization that you see today, pushing the laws and or the reduction of laws that we see today. This is not part of our DNA. This is a relatively new occurrence. However, it is now taken over yeah. our DNA, it, it, you know, but it's not part of our long history.
2: It's like Facebook and Twitter. It's not in our DNA, but it took over. But it's taken everything. over. Yeah.
3: It's not part of our history, but it is part of who we are now.
2: It's extremely recent. I was 13 years old then. Yeah. That's really recent. Really, really recent. Wow. Well, that's encouraging for me because sometimes, I, you know, when I think about, oh, the country's always been this way, it's futile. You know, like, what can you do? And uh so it's good to know well, that it's that recent.
1: Well, what could gun owners that are pro-gun safety and pro common sense do? You know what? Um number one, use their voice.
3: Go, I, I started this initiative on Father's Day. It was called Hashtag Dads for Gun Safety. And the the message I was trying to deliver was. You can be a dad, you can be a gun owner, and you can be for gun safety. And I was, I'm trying to give dads the open space and men the open space to say, yeah, I own a gun, but I believe in this stuff. I think gun owners need to be more vocal. One of the things about dealing with gun violence, it's been mainly the moms and the kids. It's not mainly dads like me, okay? Hmm. And, and we need the men you know to step up we need the dads to step up and and i and i and i think part of the reason why they haven't is because they are the majority of gun owners um, you know and so i think there's been this dynamic that has prevented them but i think the more of them who step up and say Look, i do want a gun but i believe in gun safety the better it will be for us and then they need to vote for people who will put the lives of those that they love first, who will put the safety of those that they love first. And I can't think of anything more important to vote for than our public safety.
2: Yeah. And our kids, I mean, I have a three year old and a six year old and I just, you know, I think, wow, they can't go to school. Yeah. I've even heard some of, of kids needing therapy, For the shooter drills, like you know, when we did in my day back in the Stone Age, we did the uh, the nuclear catastrophe drills. But that was like such a you know, we didn't really have any concept of the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that. You know, we're kids. Well, there wasn't a
1: chance that your the kid sitting next to you had a nuke in his backpack. That is correct. Yeah, I
2: mean, it was such a (laughs) far off possibility that it was almost a joke. Right. But now what these kids go through, this is real. They're traumatized by the actual
1: drill. The thing that's scary, too, is that it's like, you know, I mean, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, on and on and on and on and on. And And it almost kind of got to the point where it's like just like anything else on the news where like, yeah, you hear about global warming every day and it just becomes part of the fabric of the news. And then you hear these school shootings just kind of started to become so commonplace, like right before the pandemic, there were so many of them that it was like in, when it would stop you in your tracks as a normal civilian, you know, not, not a family member of a victim or adjacent to a family member of a victim, you'd see it and go like, my God. And then it's just over and over. You almost, it's that desensitization thing, you know what I mean? Well, and, and that's a scary place to be as a society.
3: Let's stay with that word, okay? Because this mm-hmm. is part of the drills that I have a a real issue with. Um a they're traumatizing yeah. but b they're also normalizing the idea that yeah. gun violence is just something we have to deal with in schools. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know,
3: this wow. it went from being something that shocked us to something that we I think I'm a little lost on how to deal with it for so many years. And now it's something that we plan for and prepare for. It's normalized. What the hell?
2: Yeah, man. (laughs) Although I will say there's some people, because I was in a store and I heard uh, the cashier talking to someone about going to see a movie. And she was like, I'm scared to go to the movie theater. And it wasn't, like, any fresh movie theater shooting that had just happened, you know. Um, but it was like, wow, okay, it's not as much desensitization out there as I may have thought. Because it was just a random person at, like, you know, Bed Bath and & Beyond. And heard the cashier was talking to another lady, and I happened to, I had a bunch of stuff, and I heard it went on, and I was like, Wow. I came home and told my wife, I was like, this lady's freaked out about going to the movie theater, like, and she's not wrong. So Dude, what are we, we doing here? There was know? a
3: shooting. <laughs> there was a shooting, I think, two days ago in a movie theater in California. Um, nobody even knew what happened. The movie ended. And what? And there were two people who were dead in the seat during the movie. So I don't know what kind of weapon was used, how it was so silent. Two people were shot and the police eventually ended up arresting the shooter. There was no connection between the two people who were shot and the shooter.
2: Just, I mean, wow. Wow. We went
1: to see, I remember we were going to see a movie, maybe it was this most recent Joker movie or something. And, uh, in New York, in the city. And there was like a, you know, something on the local news or whatever. I forget where it was, maybe online, that it was like, if you're going to see this movie, like be aware of your surroundings, be aware of people that it might be dressed yes. in costumes, be aware. People of like, were you fearful know. that that
3: movie was going to bring out some gun violence in, in theaters. Um, I, I remember that. I never did see yeah. it.
2: But was the plot just like so close to what we're going through that? No, I didn't see
1: because of Aurora you know, and, and, and the, 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 what do you call it? The imitator? What, what's the word? Yeah. Copycat killers. Copycat killers that, that, you know, followed after that, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's terrifying. It really is. But then, and I think about the people that you're, you know, we always try to talk about the hopeful side of things, you know, on this podcast too, and the common sense of it all. And, you know, I'm happy to hear that there are. You know, like I think you had said 91% or something of gun owners that support the fact that this can't be. You think about alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. There are millions of people that drink and don't kill people in drunk driving accidents. There are people that can enjoy a cigar around a campfire and not, you know, chain smoke till they get COPD or lung cancer. There are folks who can own guns and responsibly use them to hunt and feed their families and lock them up afterwards and protect their families and things like that. And like you're saying, like those are the folks that need to, you know, really stand up for the fact that like, you know, be a responsible gun owner, be a responsible, you know, part of this, be a part of the solution instead of so quiet it, uh, and like, you know, well, it's not me that's doing that.
2: You know. Does it come down to like, you know, corporate interest, like you say, of ninety one percent? So then what's overwhelming this huge percentage of people that are forward to common sense? Is it literally just like corporate money interest? Well because they're no, making so much no, bread. So and-
3: listen, I, I am trying to engage corporations, but but here's the thing. We we do have a, have a, a party in DC right now that I call a non governing party. Um, I mean, and and so the, you have a House that has passed legislation, a president who's ready to sign it, but it's stalking the Senate. And so what what I would say is this, we as Americans have done a terrible job of voting. And I don't mean we have voted for the wrong person. I mean, year after year, election after election, not enough of us voted. And that's why we ended up with legislators who didn't feel they needed to respond to what we wanted because they knew not enough of us ever voted. We ended up with extreme people as a result. Yeah. If we can repeat what happened in the last two elections and have an extra large turnout, which still isn't over the top, we should be still have yeah. more votes. We, we will continue. To change that. It's the reason why the Republicans right now are doing everything they can to make voting harder. Because the more people who vote, the less extreme we end up. And that will solve problems. You know, listen, you want hope? I will tell you this. We are closer as a country than we've ever been to passing true legislation on guns at a national level. However, we are also closer than we've ever been to losing the chance to ever do it. And, and that's why elections matter. The next the past two elections, okay, people have gone out and they have voted on this issue of guns and delivered a House of Senate and a president who's willing to do something about it. We need one more election to solidify that. And the numbers of people who want to do something about this, and we will get it done. Um, But elections have consequences, and people need to vote. There is nothing more important than whatever it takes. You you have to wait 24 hours in line, you wait, but you got to vote.
2: So we got to inspire more people to vote because, you know, you said, like you said, turnout was up, but it's still, you know, there's so many people that don't vote. And it's hard to blame them, but I feel like um, I can put some of the blame on ourselves, on myself, and not making a better case to them why they should. Because there really is, like, you know, you always hear about the 99%. It's like, if we could get 79%. yeah <laughs> you know we could or even sixty nine percent yeah right we just we need to do better than what we're doing, so we gotta make a better case and uh that's part of why we wanted to have you on to try to like you we're know glad you did. make it human um make it personal, make it to where we are i mean I have a three year old and a six year old man like everybody should be able to relate to this, and uh thank you for helping us make. A stronger case and hopefully we can inspire people to make that difference for their own children and for their own family and neighbors that have kids you know
3: well i appreciate that you had me and um it was a pleasure getting to talk to you um and i hope we stay connected
2: yeah man bless you for the work you're doing. I don't know Mike. Mike's maybe his battery ran out or something. Yeah, he disappeared. <laughs> but, he just disappeared on us. But um, yeah, thank you, Fred. R- really. Um, I can feel your heart, man. And I'm sure that all of our listeners can too. And, bless Thanks you. Much. and you know what? Also, before you go, I do want to say one thing. I, I, Cause I was watching you talk on a, on a YouTube and it's relevant to something you said before on our podcast, you were talking about the places that you turn to get your inspiration to keep filled up. And one of the places, I think it was maybe about the book, Find the Helpers. That's my book. And um, you were talking about turning to houses of worship. And, you know, like, and one of the themes for me on our podcast is always like trying to find the baby in the dirty bathwater of religion So you're acknowledging all the dirty bathwater, but you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're trying to drain it out and recover the thing that is precious about it, you know, because that is something I feel like what we have, what we're dealing with is a spiritual problem, you know,
3: also you know it's a you political
2: know, problem it's a problem of economics and people wanting to make money off of gun sales but it's also
3: on a personal level i have my own challenges right now sure with a higher power
2: I'm however sure.
3: um my faith is stronger than it's ever been but it's in the people who surround me but not everybody feels they have a lot of people surrounding them and yeah. so for those who just don't know where to turn or where to go, I always go to a place of worship, go to a community center, go with people who have love in their heart and want to lift you up, you know? Um, do that as opposed to going to places that are filled with hate and negativity and evil. Um, as a country, we'd be much better served if we find ourselves in environments like that.
2: Yeah. It's these relationships that are, you know, the key. The yeah. key. All right. Bless you, sir. Thank you, Okay. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks you sure. have a great day, man.
3: You too. Bye. Osiris.